How to Fight the Devil by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Heck. Look here, boys, said Sam. Don't you want to go with me up to the Devil's Den this afternoon? Where's the Devil's Den? said I, with a little awe. While it's a longer tramp than I ever took ye, it's clear up past the Pickerel Pond and beyond Old Skunk John's pasture lot. It's amazing good place for raspberries. Shouldn't wonder if we get two, three quarts there. Great rocks there, higher in your head, kinder solemn tis. This was a delightful and seductive account, and we arranged for a walk that very afternoon. In almost every New England village, the personality of Satan has been acknowledged by calling by his name some particular rock or cave, or other natural object whose singularity would seem to suggest a more than mortal occupancy. The devil's punch bowl, the devil's wash bowl, the devil's kettle, the devil's pulpit, and the devil's den, have been designations that marked places or objects of some striking natural peculiarity. Often these are found in the midst of the most beautiful and romantic scenery, and the sinister name seems to have no effect in lessening its attractions. To me the very idea of going to the devil's den was full of a pleasing horror. When a boy I always lived in the shadowy edge of that line which divides spirit land from mortal life, and it was my delight to walk among its half-lights and shadows. The old graveyard where, side by side, mouldered the remains of Indian sachems and the ancients of English blood, was my favorite haunt. I loved to sit on the graves while the evening mists arose from them, and to fancy cloudy forms waving and beckoning. To me this spirit land was my only refuge from the dry details of a hard prosaic life. The schoolroom, with its hard seats rudely fashioned from slabs of rough wood, with its clumsy desks hacked and ink-stained, with its unintelligible textbooks and its unsympathetic teacher, was to me a prison out of whose weary windows I watched the pomp and glory of nature the free birds singing, the clouds sailing, the trees waving and whispering, and longed, as earnestly as ever did the psalmist, to flee far away and wander in the wilderness. Hence no joy of afterlife, nothing that the world has now to give, can equal that joyous sense of freedom and full possession which came over me on Saturday afternoons, when I started off on a tramp with the world all before me, the mighty unexpected world of mysteries and possibilities, bounded only by the horizon, Ignorant alike of all science, neither botanist nor naturalist, I was studying at first hand all that lore out of which science is made. Every plant and flower had a familiar face to me, and said something to my imagination. I knew where each was to be found, its time of coming and going, and met them year after year as returning friends. So it was with joyous freedom that we boys rambled off with Sam this afternoon, intent to find the devil's den. It was a ledge of granite rocks rising in the midst of a grove of pines and white birches. The ground was yellow and slippery with the fallen needles of the pines of other days, and the glistening white stems of the birches shone through the shadows like ivory pillars. Underneath the great granite ledges all sorts of roots and plants grappled and kept foothold, and whole armies of wild raspberries matured their fruit, rounder and juicier for growing in the shade. In one place yawned a great rift or cavern, as if the rocks had been violently twisted and wrenched apart, and a mighty boulder lodging in the rift had roofed it over, making a cavern of most seductive darkness and depth. This was the devil's den, and after we had picked our pail full of berries, we sat down there to rest. Sam, 
Do you suppose the devil ever was here? said I. What do they call this his den for? Massy child, that ar was an old witch times. There used to be witch meetings held here, and awful doings. They used to have witch sabbath days and witch sacraments, and sell their souls to the old boy. What should they want to do that for? Well, sure enough, what was it for? I can't make out that the devil ever gin him anything, any on em. They weren't no richer, nor didn't they get no more in this world than the rest, and they was took and hung. And then if they went to torment after that, they had a pretty bad bargain on it, I say. Well, people don't do such things any more, do they, said I? No, said Sam. Since the Gret fuss and rodido about it, it's kind of died out. But there's those, I suppose, that is dealings with the old boy. Folks do say that old Ketchery was a witch, and that if it had been in old times, she'd a had her neck stretched. But she lived and died in peace. But do you think, said I, now proposing the question that lay nearest my heart, that the devil can hurt us? That depends considerable on how you take him, said Sam. You see, come to a straight out-and-out fight with him, he'll get the better on you. But, said I, Christian did fight Apollyon, and got him down, too. I had no more doubt in those days that this was an historic fact than I had of the existence of Romulus and Remus and the wolf. Well, that weren't just like real things. They says that is an allegory. But I'll tell ye how old Sarah Bugganuck fit the devil when he peered to her. You see, old Sarah, she was one of the converted Injuns, and a good old critter she was, too. Worked hard and got her living honest. She made baskets, and she made brooms, and she used to pick young wintergreen and tie it up in bunches, and dig sassafras and ginseng to make beer, and she got her a little bit of land right alongside old Black Hoss John's white birch woodlot. Now I've heard some of these here modern ministers that come down from Cambridge College and are launched about everything in creation. They say there ain't no devil, and the reason on it is because there can't be none. These here fellows is so sort of green, they don't mean no harm, but but they don't know nothing about nobody that does. If they'd known old Black Hoss John, they'd have been putty sure there was a devil. He was just the crossest, ugliest critter that ever you see, and he was ugly just for the sake of ugliness. He couldn't bear to let the boys pick huckleberries in his pasture lots when he didn't pick em himself. And he was always jawing me because I would go trout fishing in one of his pastures, just as if the trout that swims weren't the Lord's, and just as much mine as his. He grudged every critter everything, and if he'd a had his will and way, every bird would have fell down dead that picked up a worm on his grounds. He was just as nippin' as a black frost. Old Black Hoss didn't get drunk in a regular way, like Uncle F and Toddy Whitney and the rest of them boys, but he was just sort of at home, a soakin' on cider, till he was crosser and a bear with a sore head. Old Black Hoss had a special spite against old Sarah. He said she was an old witch and an old thief, and that she stole things off in his grounds when everybody knew that she was just a regular church member and as decent an old critter as there was going. As to her stealing, she didn't do nothing but pick huckleberries and grapes and get chestnuts and walnuts and butternuts and them your wild things that the lords grow on whose land they will and is free to all. I've heard him tell that over in the old country. The poor was kept under so that they couldn't shoot a bird, nor catch a fish, nor gather no nuts, nor do nothing to keep from starving, cause the quality folks they thought they owned everything, way down to the middle of the earth and clear up to the stars. We never had no such doings this side of the water, thank the Lord. We've always been free to have the chestnuts and the walnuts and the grapes and the huckleberries and the strawberries, 
if we could get him and catch fish when and where we was a mind to. Lordy Massey, your grandthor's old Caesar he used to call the pond his pork pot. He'd just go down and throw in a line and catch his dinner. Well, old Black Hoss, he knowed the law was so, and he couldn't do nothing again her by law. But he sarved her out every mean trick he could think of. He used to go and stand and lean over her garden gate and jaw at her an hour at a time. But old Sarah, she had the engine in her. She didn't run to talk much. She used to just keep on with her weedin' in her work, just as if he weren't there. And that made old Black Hoss madder than ever. And he thought he'd try and frighten her off from the ground by making on her believe he was the devil. So one time, when he'd have been killin' a beef critter, they took off the skin with the horns and all on, and old Black Hoss, he says to Toddy and F and Loker, you just come up tonight and see how I'll frighten old Sarah Bunganuck. While Toddy and F and Locker, they had no better to do, and they thought they'd just go round and see. You see, twas a moonlit night, and the old Sarah, she was an industrious critter. She was cutting white birch brush for brooms in the pasture lot. While old Black Hoss, he wrapped the critter's skin round him, with the horns on his head, and come and stood by the fence, and begun to roar and make a noise. Old Sarah, she kept right on with her work, cutting her brush and piling on it up, and just let him roar. While old Black Hoss felt pretty foolish, especially as the fellows were waiting to see how she took it. So he calls out in a grum voice, Woman, don't you know who I be? No, she says quite quiet. I don't know who you're be. Well, I'm the devil, says he. Ye be, says old Sarah. Poor old critter, how I pity ye. And she never gin him another word, but just bundled up her broom stuff and took it on her back and walked off. And old Black Hoss, he stood there mighty foolish with his skin and horns, and so he had to laugh again him, cause F and Locker, they went and told the story down to the tavern, and he felt awful cheap to think old Sarah had got the upper hands on him. Well, you see, boys, that ear's just the way to fight the devil. Just keep straight on with what you're doing, and don't ye mind him, and he can't do nothing to ye. End of How to Fight the Devil by Harriet Beecher Stowe